Hello and thank you so much for tuning into the Education Burrito, podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q Sum and each episode I'll be joined by special guests as we unwrap the Education Burrito. Welcome back to another Education Burrito episode. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Emma Duke-Williams, who works as an educational technologist and learning designer in higher education with their work, including improving academic integrity within the institution. With the latest hot topic of using and debating artificial intelligence chat box in our everyday work, also known as chat GPT, this episode will be somewhat different from the normal ones. And so with Emma's focus on academic integrity, I thought what better way to also invite ChatGPT to share their thoughts on what academic integrity means to them, but ultimately unwrapping if ChatGPT could either enhance or be a hindrance to academic integrity, such as dealing with assessments in higher education. So without further ado, I'm so pleased to have Emma Duke-Williams joining us today. Emma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to see you, or I guess hear you for everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so wonderful, Emma. Um, I mean, how are you keeping and where are you joining us today? Uh, I'm joining us from Arbroath. Uh, That's on the east coast of Scotland, Um, famous for its smokies, although being vegetarian, I've never actually tried one. Um, I work at Dundee University. Um, I've been here now for seven years. And prior to that, I was a lecturer in Portsmouth. So a fair trek from England's south coast to Scotland's east coast. Um, While there, I was lectured in um, information systems. And I was doing a lot of work with sort of IT to support learning and academic integrity, obviously came into that quite a bit. I mean, what a journey, right? You just mentioned that you travel all the way down from the south of the UK or England, all the way up to the northeast (laughs) part. Well, in in Scotland, my geography of Scotland is not... um, as tip-top as my science knowledge. knowledge. But uh, it's, it's quite a trek and uh, it's great that you're joining us from afar. And I mean, thank goodness for technologies these days. Otherwise, yes, I'll be coming up to you in, in a flight or, or, or mm-hmm. hours of train journey up to you. Okay, so Emma, let's let's get right to it. I mean, before we bring ChatGPT, such a mouthful, ChatGPT into the mix, could you share with us what academic integrity means and the importance of it in higher education? For sure. I think it's it's something that's talked about a lot. And I'm glad we're using the phrase academic integrity because I find a lot of people say academic misconduct. So they're thinking about what you shouldn't do, whereas my focus is much more on the integrity on on what students and staff should be doing. So there are the obvious things, you know, there's, there's the referencing stuff, which is something I also mentioned to staff. I have seen more than one presentation where people have forgotten to reference where they got their data sets from or the resources or whatever it is they're presenting to students. Um, but I think to me, it a lot of it comes back really to how students and staff come to that can learn most effectively. So it is looking at that whole the learning process so how you start to think about what you're going to do. And it's twofold because I think a boring essay title or whatever kind of invites people to take shortcuts, an interesting assessment challenge. So there is, to me, there are the sort of almost, I suppose there's almost three kind of factors. There's the ensuring students really understand what it means to study at higher education, which 
for many is a huge change from what they were doing in school or college. It's making sure that those assessments that they're doing are engaging and actually the students want to engage with them and they can see the relevance of them. I mean, I'm I'm thinking right now about my nephew who was never really very fond of maths at school until he got to going to, to be an apprentice in a car garage and then suddenly measuring things really carefully and a lot of the maths they had to do made an awful lot of sense because he could see it in context. You know, and our students are just the same. It's whatever context you're working in, you need to be able to see how things fit together. And that's where I think that engaging assessment design is is really critical. And then, of course, there's, there's the bringing them all together. And there's, I guess, the formal side of what you have to do to demonstrate that you can work effectively at higher education within certain parameters, including, I think, you know, when we've got some of the more professional degrees, where there are certain things people have to cover, and perhaps in a more, certainly at this stage with some of the external bodies, they do have to be covered in a more formal examined way but you know that's not to say you have to formally examine everything and that's quite an interesting point in terms of uh, there the last bit you just mentioned about um, being examined on on assessments for students or demonstrate those uh, the skills or competencies aside from that how do you think colleagues and students can show academic integrity it's i think it's just to do with the way people are working what they produce and often i, I guess taking a pride in things because you're likely to invest a lot more effort into something you're going to take pride in. Mm -hmm. This is where I try to step away from don't do X. It's let's think about how we can help people to do the right thing in the first place. You know, more carrot than stick. I think traditionally we have seen students trying to understand academic integrity, right? And I've it's been a while (laughs) I remember in my first year when I was doing my undergrad it was drilled into us you have to do this 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 or or trying to reduce the risk of being caught out by the system we've seen that and I mean that kind of weird transition where I'm trying to tell my students that and traditionally how do you think students or colleagues have dealt with academic integrity if we do not talk about what's happening in the moment in 2023 but traditionally how have we dealt with those problems or or challenges I think a lot of people have tended to go down the stick route. You know, if think about things like Turnitin, I can remember when it very first came out and it was advertised as a plagiarism detection service. And that was when I first started working in higher education around about 2000. And then it was very much said on the on their website that was um, at that point hosted in Newcastle, but through JISC. And it very clearly said on their website, plagiarism detection. But I think quite early on, certainly some people, not necessarily everybody, you know, recognised that it was really only picking up on similarity and cut and paste type plagiarism, not everything else. And actually, I can't remember when they changed their phrase from plagiarism detection to similarity. But I still meet people today who call it plagiarism detection, you know, and I think part of it that has stuck and it's, yeah, it's it's all these things that you just have to pull together. And I think in terms of in the past, a lot of academics haven't necessarily seen their role as sort of teaching students how to write effectively or use information effectively. You know, a lot of people have felt that that's the role of schools should have done it already. And if the schools didn't do it, then you know, that's what student support services or academic skills or whatever your university happens to call that um, student support service that, you know, helps students with the writing. And I know from reading stuff online that I think American universities seem to have far more in the way of writing centres than British universities. I'm, I'm sure some do. 
but it seems to be far more of a common thing, that sort of central service to help students understand writing. Whereas I think that a lot of it should really come down to the academics, because if you're teaching somebody a subject, that there's the whole nuance of how your subject uses information, you know, and what's appropriate in your subject area. And I think it really needs to be a twofold thing of both people who have the subject expertise and know what happens in that discipline, working with students, as well as where appropriate support services, working with students who perhaps need a bit of help just catching up. You've kind of kind of gone on to the next thing I was going to ask you about <laughs> engaging with the students yeah. um, and actually working with the students. Um, and you've also mentioned how the academic integrity shouldn't be, the I presume, that not the sole responsibility, say the academic staff or the professional services, but mm-hmm. together. But what, what do you think about the role of students in academic integrity? Do you think or how of a priority should their responsibilities, well, probably I've just answered it myself because they are the ones who are submitting the assessments, mm-hmm. but do you think the responsibilities of adhering to academic integrity should be shared fairly in from different parties within the institution or should it be for heavily more on the student compared to the academics or their personal tutors? That's a really interesting question because ultimately it is the student's responsibility. They're the ones doing the work. But if students haven't been given that framework and the support they need to enable them to do it effectively, you know, it, it's got to be a, a multi-way relationship, you know, and responsibility. You can't do things if it's never been explained to you in a way that makes sense to you. So, yeah, part of it obviously is the student's responsibility and ultimately it's theirs. But the starting point has to come from people who understand it and know what they're doing and can support the students develop those skills. The other thing that strikes me that is an increasing issue is this whole massification of education. You know, so classes are getting ever bigger Students don't, you know, necessarily feel they've got a good connection with particular members of staff that they can talk to. And it's that relationship building. And obviously, you know, we're going to come on to um, AI and things like that. But we can't we can't ignore the huge problem of the last three years in such a disruptive education where some students have found working online much easier. Some staff have found it much easier. Others have found it much, much more difficult because of sort of building all of those connections and understanding of what we really mean by effective learning, which includes academic integrity on top of other things. But what about, I'm curious now, because you've mentioned about it, it should be academic staff to, to educate or to facilitate students' learning about academic integrity, but what if those students aren't turning up to classes or they are the ones who are... Mm-hmm less engaged or actually we can't get hold of them how can we then understand whether or not they understand academic integrity without us knowing that they are there (laughs) or that they have this active presence that's just a huge problem because it's then not just the academic integrity it's it's everything that we're concerned have these students properly grasped this if they haven't been here. So I I think it's that engagement is probably ultimately more important than the actual academic integrity, because until you've got the students engaged, it's very hard for them to work with um, either within the subject or with support from professional services staff to really get that grasp. And I'm sure every institution does this. You push out videos, you push out information. We've just got a, a team at the moment who are busy working on a new version of us letting students know about academic integrity. But you can't make them watch it. 
In fact, our previous video, it used to be on in a lot of the student bars and cafes and it was constantly playing. And I'd say to students, have you seen this before? And I'd show it to them and they'd say no. And I think, how can you have been in and out of the student union all this time where it was playing on quite a lot of screens and kind of not noticed it? I think the engagement is, it, it's a whole nother question. And I think until you've got that engagement, you're, you're, you're right. You can't do a lot of the academic integrity stuff. There's all sorts of other stuff that they're missing out on as well. It's a hard question to answer, but to me, the whole academic integrity should just be so intertwined with everything else. It shouldn't really almost be a separate thing. I mean, it is, but it's hard in a lot of ways, I think, to dissociate it. You're getting meeting now a lot. I mean, we could spend more time, a whole hour over more talking about yes. academic integrity, but we're going to have to move on yes. because we're going to have to bring this whole artificial intelligence that everyone is talking about these yes. days. Um, and of course, as mentioned, academic integrity plays such an important role in higher education, mm -hmm. um, such as assessments and cutting actually are cutting across all aspects of learning and teaching. Yeah. So what, for example, you've mentioned Turnitin, that's one of the tools that perhaps colleagues and students are more familiar with um, in terms of plagiarism, mm -hmm. being the plagiarism police. But to start, I actually asked ChatGPT the question on what they thought or what they think academic integrity is. So let me just going to read this answer out. So they said, academic integrity refers to the ethical and moral principles that guides academic behaviour and scholarship. It involves a commitment to honesty, fairness, trust and respect for oneself and others in academic settings. And then they gave me this whole list of what they are. So, for example, um, looking at academic integrity, that includes a range of actions and then talk about honestly and how they should present their work. Proper citation and referencing, we've touched on that, you know, acknowledging the work of others by providing citations and references in a recognised style. Interestingly, they haven't mentioned Harford, but more of that are the referencing formats. The fourth one is it's all about originality and creativity. So looking at how to create original work that is free from plagiarism and is resulting of one owns thinking and effort. And the fifth one is responsible conduct. So looking at the behaviours in terms of academic uh, settings, following guidelines and rules, attending class, and submitting work on time and then finally it's about respecting uh, for others so this means treating each other with respect and avoiding any behaviors that might be considered disrespectful or discriminatory so actually the definition that chat gpt has given me is somewhat similar uh, but they've actually broken it down to lists yes. and i gave us a bit more structured answer and i think that's quite normal because we are talking to an artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think also because our previous conversation sort of touched on all those aspects, but not in quite such a structured way. If you'd asked me to write it down, I probably wouldn't have waffled quite so much. Mm -hmm. But it's the same though, isn't it? They 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 are talking about this academic yes. scholarship. They're talking about how they are academic integrity is such an important aspect that we are to follow in higher education. So I want to now mm -hmm. ask you, Emma, is what are your thoughts on the role of chat GPT in academic integrity? I think I'm going to change that question around slightly to artificial intelligence, but in student learning and assessment, because I think we've been using it for years. Word, it uses artificial intelligence when it suggests are you using the right word in this context? It's interesting, Word has now just got the summarise tool back in it. Now, I don't know if you remember back to Word 2007, but that had a summarise tool in it. So they took it out after, 
I think when it moved on to Word 2010, the version of Word that we had in 2007, it had a summarising tool built in. You know, we've got things like Grammarly that help people. So it's it's a much more nuanced thing than, you know, just chat GPT and just academic integrity. Because actually, some of the AI tools um, that already exist and some that are coming, you know, they're great for things like finding basic information out about something. You can use Wikipedia, you could use ChatGPT, you could compare the two to get your basic understanding of something before you then move on. I think it, in some ways, for a lot of, you know, finding out new stuff, students have always, and we would expect them to, look things up. When I was a student and there was no uh, internet as we know it, you had to go to the library and get out the encyclopedia. And if you thought it was a really complex subject, you go and get the children's encyclopedia first before you moved on to Encyclopedia Britannica to get the more detailed stuff. We've got, we've had Wikipedia, which again, very useful finding out the basics before you move on. So I think a lot of the AI tools are just there as an additional support for those sorts of things. I can see that if you're trying to plan something, you know, getting a quick outline can be helpful to people because actually for a lot of people staring at that blank sheet of paper or the blank screen, if you want, in Word, is completely daunting. To have something that will give you a starting point that you can then say, oh yeah, I need to go and find out more about that. I need to go and find out more about that. I think can be absolutely invaluable. And I've been doing some work with our art school and we got onto talking about a first year project in which they have to design an album cover. They wouldn't expect a student just to put it into Dal E or something like that and describe it, what they wanted, and get Dal E to draw it. But actually, you know, if they used a visual AI tool to generate various different things and then moved on to have an idea. So it's it's really difficult because I think there are quite a lot of things for which people can use artificial intelligence for that starting point. But that's all it all you want it to be. I mean, I'm leaving aside at the moment all the ethical issues, given that using open AI based tools, you have to give your telephone number to them. If you can afford to pay more for your $20 a month, you can get the greater power. Because they're all coming to things like I've had Adobe now with a image generation tool, Microsoft Designer I've now got access to, Bing Chat is coming. We've seen that Google Chat is coming. So, so they're all bringing in their own tools as a way to help people find things out. I think where academic integrity is going is making ethical, going back to that list you read out, you know, the ethical and effective use of them. Everything we create is built on a certain amount of what other people have done, isn't it? You know, you're reading stuff and you're using it and you're referencing it. So I think that AI is going to make a huge difference in terms of the academic integrity, just another tool to support people in that process. But in order to make sure that students aren't misusing it, that's when assessment needs to move away from questions that are really just knowledge based. If we go back to the pandemic, you know, when we saw people moving their exams online, just shifting an exam online never works, particularly if your exam was to design, designed to be done in a sports hall where you could ask students to recall facts. I know a lot of people, and certainly when I was teaching, we made quite a lot of use of open book exams where the questions already had, I mean, okay, they were in a sports hall, but the students could take their books in with them. Um, and so you already had to write questions that weren't just asking them to regurgitate facts. You had to ask questions that perhaps set a scenario or a case study. And then, because I was working in um, computing, you might ask them, you know, how Schneiderman's seven laws would 
influence how they were going to design a user interface for, I don't know, a coffee shop or whatever. There's a lot. I mean, thanks for that, um, Emma. And I think you've just unwrapped a lot of problems <laughs> and actually benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's pick that up. I mean, you've mentioned about the mobile phone number yes. and our privacy and kind of the GDPR these mm-hmm. days that we all need to adhere in higher education. Do you think then using artificial intelligence or chat GPT can ensure our use of privacy and data protection if we are then to tell them about something and we want them to do something for us in return? I think probably the bigger concern right now is as well as, you know, when you sign up, you have to give in personal details to get it, but it's all those databases they're scraping to get the information. So things that we have online that were put up there for certain reasons being scraped by all these tools that are generating the AI information, you know, that is another huge concern. My understanding is that these tools don't necessarily say the information you put in but they learn from the sorts of things people are asking and they learn from, you know, when you say, oh, no, I need more detail on this bit of it. So I'm not entirely sure how it all goes on behind the scenes. And I think you need somebody who really understands all the back end of, but, you know, I think my concern is the need to sign up at the moment to tools to use them. And then the fact that a lot of them are taking data that may have been shared for one purpose and using it for multiple other purposes. And of course, the data that is currently held within OpenAI, which is what ChatGPT 3.5, and I think also that GPT-4 is currently using, was the state of the internet in, in 2021. So people were hosting stuff for a particular purpose, and now it may be being used for a different one. And I think that may adjust going forward to what people host online, because you upload, say, code to GitHub, When you're doing it, you're thinking, well, this will be used by other programmers in GitHub. They don't necessarily think about it having been downloaded by an AI agent to be used in other scenarios. So I think there's a lot of things that people will be needing to think about from that ethical point of view, um, as well as individual sharing personal details. No, that's interesting. And I think there's a lot for us to think about because every day we, well, not every day, but most of the time we are being subscribed to some sort of online thing mm-hmm. could be netflix or could be um spotify mm-hmm. it can be anything so i think safeguarding our own privacy is very important but actually if we think coming back to the whole student engagement and in higher education ai could be beneficial but it's more about how can we then safeguard our students so they are not being exposed to the things that they yeah. don't want to be exposed to so then can we ever i mean can we ever train AI to customise or to suit the needs for our organisation in higher education, say for our colleagues or staff, do you think? I suspect it's really hard one to answer, actually, that. We're going to see a huge difference, I think, when Copilot, which is Microsoft's new offering, and there's one that's built in, I've forgotten what it's called now, I'm not thinking of Bard, that is Google's search bit. Um, Institutions that have signed up to Google services rather than Microsoft services, you know, for their email and and webmail and things like that. I know Google are bringing in a similar tool to Copilot sort of, you know, to work within their ecosystem of all their office-based resources. I think within institutions, I could see that, you know, the Copilot stuff may well save a certain amount of staff time. I mentioned earlier, you know, the the impacts of massification, staff having less time to work 
with students. So, you know, some of the tools will save time. So, you know, taking minute notes instead of other people having to do it, making sure that the right information gets to the right people when they need it, not when somebody else thinks they need it. Then that could potentially free up staff, academic staff and professional services staff to be able to spend more time with students to do the human-centred things. Until we see that, until we see how it works and how effective it is and how people react to it, I don't know. I mean, I already find it a bit weird uh, when I use Edge and it says, oh, so-and-so's been working on this document. And it's a document they've maybe shared with me and I hadn't got a clue they'd shared it, it with me. And I thought, I don't really need to know this, you know. And then I think, well, you know, what are other people being told about what I did? with something that I maybe shared with them and then promptly forgot I'd shared it. But, to, you know, to get back to your query about the academic integrity and the data privacy, it's a huge thing to think about. And I think until we really understand how these tools are using things, but I do see a difference between the way something like Copilot would share institutional level information that you may well already have the rights to see, even if you didn't know you could see it. If the AI tools could identify, all, you know, for this group of students, there's a submission point now. We'll surface for them these things to do with how you might want to use a mind map to help structure your essay, where you can go for additional help. So if we could pull forward all those things at the right time for the right group of students, that would be really beneficial within the university environment. But I do agree with you that as we start to work further outside the environment and we encourage the students to engage with their community of people going into a similar profession as they go forwards, then it becomes much more complex. We've done some stuff with students in the past about their, their learning footprints and what do you want to keep private, what do you want to share with known people, what do you want to share with the world. Those sorts of things will probably become ever more important for people to think about the audience, where the audience may include AI tools that may use it for all sorts of other things. So there's so lots of thoughts there, um, Emma. And I think <laughs> Sorry, when I get going, I get going. <laughs> of course, but uh, you've touched about the future, you've touched upon the, the benefits, the risks, and I think this is an ongoing debate, isn't it? There's no clear-cut answer of whether or not using AI is good or bad, but actually there are benefits to Absolutely. it in terms of helping and supporting academic integrity, supporting students to get their creativity and thinking going, because sometimes I know that if you're trying to write a chapter or something uh, for a project or thesis it gets really exactly. difficult unless you have that inspiration which doesn't normally come very often so there are there are things you've mentioned there so I want to just ask one final question Emma is are we better than artificial intelligence or chat GPT absolutely I mean yeah it's a great tool but I think you can't take away from the value that people can bring this sort of conversation, you couldn't have a conversation like this with ChatGPT yet. And I, I don't know that you ever truly could. And, and I think the value of, of human interaction, I think in a lot of ways over the last sort of three years has really been highlighted when the circle of people you've been able to meet up with in person has been so heavily limited that we've had to look at other ways. But I think, certainly I'm somebody and I think so many people are that actually real human interaction, either sort of in a one-to-one -one conversation like this online or in person is so important for so many people. And that's where, you know, with things like the academic integrity, you can talk to students, you can see what they're thinking, you know, you can see them starting to puzzle things out. You can have a look, they can show you what they're working on in a way 
I think in person is is often so much easier, you know, because if they're the sort of student who I can remember one student when I was teaching, you know, a lot of years ago now, at the start of his student undergraduate project, he was a really keen student. He came with two lever arch files full. And he said, I've been looking at all these things over the summer, Emma. And he, he showed me his things and then he showed me a photograph and he said, This is my bedroom wall. And it was like this massive mind map with post-its all over his bedroom wall. But, you know, that sort of that human creativity, I think I would like to think that AI that can truly engage with stuff like that is sufficiently far off that it's not something I'm going to have to worry about. Mm. Oh, well, I, I actually asked AI this question. Are we mm. as human better than artificial intelligence in terms of academic integrity? So the answer they gave me, eh, they, they kind of took us on a journey. <laughs> journey. There was no yes or no. So they started off telling us that the future of academic integrity will de depend on several factors, including technological advancements, changes in academic culture, and the continued commitment of individuals to uphold ethical and more principles in academic integrity. And then they went on to talk about the increase of technology in education and how the benefits of that which I'm not going to read out. And then they said, furthermore, as academic culture continue to evolve, there may be greater emphasis on collaborative and interdisciplinary research, which may require new approaches to ensure academic integrity. In addition, there may be greater focus on inclusivity and diversity, which may require new approaches to prevent bias and discrimination. And overall, the future of academic integrity will require ongoing efforts to educate and raise awareness about the importance of ethical and moral principles in academic settings, as well as the development of new tools and approaches to prevent academic misconduct and promote academic excellence. That's a really bad sentence because that's a very long sentence <laughs> yeah. to read out with no full stops. Um, that's actually from an AI answer. But what I like about their answer is that they finally concluded something about, because this is like, they gave me then, gave me this whole page, two page long yes. answer, which I don't really need. So they ended uh, saying that, however, it is important to know that chat GPT is not a substitute for human judgment or decision making. While chat GPT can provide information and support, it's up to individuals to make ethical and moral decisions in their academic work. So that's quite key is that they cannot replace us. And we do need to consider it as a maybe a critical friend, yes. online friend, but not actually use it for our everyday work. Absolutely. Yeah, I was nodding my head quite a few times during that, actually, which obviously on, on audio you can't hear. But I think this interdisciplinarity is is critical as well. And I think AI aside, you know, that's so important, The that, you know, to get that creativity that we need. OK, so let's end this episode with a fun part, Emma. Yeah. I haven't told you this about before, <laughs> but it's going to be a, a quick, short firing round for our listeners to know you a bit more. Uh -huh. Um, these are short questions and you don't need to give me a long explanation. It's literally a one word or two word yeah. answer. Are you ready? Uh, yes. All right. What would be your favourite superpower? Oh, now you're asking. Oh, I'll have a teleporter, please, so I can go and visit people in Australia without having to hang around an airport. Tea or coffee? Oh, tea. If you are to pick one learning and or learning platform or tool, what would it be? Twitter. What would you do to recharge your energy after a long, stressful day of work? A walk by the sea. Favourite movie? Oh, now you're asking. Um, do you know, I really like the first Avatar. Other than your phone, your laptop, your iPad, any technologies, what would be the one best thing to carry around to show students or colleagues in corridors? Oh, I'll have a bit of Lego, please. What is your hidden talent? 
Um, baking. What would you bake out of curiosity? It's sourdough bread at the moment, but I'm not sure it's that hidden. What is your favourite music genre? Uh, I guess sort of 70s, 80s. I'm showing my age. What would your alternative career be that you secretly wish that you've never had or never actually pursued? Oh, when I was when I was about nine, I had two dream jobs. Blue Peter presenter or astronaut? I think you still might have a chance about the Blue Peter. <laughs> not, not so much about the astronaut, I don't think. <laughs> Who is or are your favourite learning and teaching heroes? Oh, wow. There are so many, I think, who've influenced me in different ways over the years. But you're putting me right on the spot now before I've really had a chance to think. Um, you can name a few. Uh, good. I think Stephen Downs had quite an influence quite early on and sort of Dave Cormier and all that group. I think now it's really hard to say because there are so many people doing so many good things that, you know, you're working with, with different people at different times. So, yeah, it's, it's too hard to answer. Sorry. It's OK. Fair enough. And finally, then, because our podcast is called The Education Burrito, what's your favourite burrito feelings? Oh, it would have to be um, something that involves plenty of mushrooms, plenty of cheese um, and a few refried beans. Well, thank you for that, Emma. And that's all we have time for in this episode. If our listeners want to find out more about what you do, Emma, how can they do so? Uh, probably the best way is my my Twitter ID, Emma DW. Great. And again, massive thank you to you, Emma Duke-Williams, for sharing with us your insights in integrating academic integrity with artificial intelligence. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on and be sure to like it and share it on social media, tagging us at the hashtag the Education Burrito. If you have enjoyed our chat today and fancy coming onto the show, no matter as a student or member of staff, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the Education Burrito.